Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Man, it's good to be back home. If you saw my post on social media, you might know that I was gone the month of July in Ecuador, South America, and had this crazy idea that I was going to play a little squash. I met another American who was hanging at the Ocean Club in Playas, Ecuador, where I was staying. He was a pretty experienced squash player, and I said, I've always wanted to try that. I'm a good tennis player. Let me give it a shot. Well, that became an expensive squash game, both physically and financially. I ended up breaking my ankle. Um, I thought I just rolled it, and I actually even tried to walk it off. And uh, that didn't work, but I did stumble back home. I thought I sprained it, so I had it up. I was icing it, and uh, for a couple days, people were saying, well, you should go to the hospital just in case, just to see. I said, no, 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 no. I said, well, you know, you could just get an x-ray, cost you 30 bucks in an hour of your time. Why not just do it? So I said, okay. Went to the hospital. We had to go there anyways to visit my wife's aunt who was in the hospital. And so I said, well, since we're here, let's just do it. And they took x-rays of my foot and it turns out I broke it, fractured the fibula and uh, I had to have surgery and I had to have it quickly. So they put a temporary cast on me and I actually had surgery in Ecuador. (laughs) And let me just tell you, it was a harrowing experience. I thought they'd put me out, but they didn't put me out. They actually put a needle in my spine It felt like a coat hanger going down the back of my spine right into my tailbone. It was one of the most, the strangest feelings I've ever had for sure. And this warm sensation kind of came over me. I started to get tingly and they basically paralyzed me from the waist down. So I was awake for the surgery. I actually heard the screws being put into me in the plate. I have six screws in me now. I could actually feel like the reverberation in my bones all the way, even though I couldn't feel it in my feet, the reverberation, like you pluck a guitar string, I felt it all the way up my spine. It was chilling. And so I was laying there awake, having surgery for an hour. And uh, it was not a fun experience. The plane ride home was tough. I, I, I had a couple of weeks to recover in Ecuador and then I took the plane ride home and, uh, my leg cramped up. And so when I got home for like seven hours, I had this vicious, vicious cramp like a Charlie horse that just won't go away. And I was a little concerned it might even be some blood clotting, but the doctor assured me I'd be fine. Um, so I'm finally now feeling relatively pain-free and can breathe a little bit again, but it was just a real heck of an experience. Luckily I had my wife there at my side. They were able to even sneak her in to the surgery thing. You can do things like that in Ecuador, I guess, in third world countries, developing world countries. <laughs> the rules are a little bit more relaxed, but she was holding my hand and uh, holding me while I was getting needles in me and everything else. So it was, if I didn't have her, I don't think I would have got through it. Hopefully you heard her. Um, it was actually that same week that she was on Private Club Radio from the pre-recorded episode we did before I left. And, um, she gave some really great tips on how to relieve stress. And so to have her there while I was probably at one of my most stressful times in my life, uh, I really saw what, what we talked about on this episode play out in real life. And so that episode's extremely valuable. 
Hope you go back. It was just about three weeks ago now. Hope you go back and listen to it. Ana Aloisi, really great episode. But I'm back here in Tampa. I'm so excited to be at my office, even though I've got my leg up here on a chair. It's nice to be able to do this show and to try to get back to work a little bit. I've still got some recovery to do. I won't be able to walk for a few more weeks. Certainly won't be able to play golf for a few months, if if not longer. It might be not until next year until I can really play golf, which I'm extremely bummed about. But that's what I get for trying to play a sport that I've never played before with the wrong shoes in the wrong country. Lesson learned cost me $4,500 that lesson plus the agony. But anyways, always get travel insurance. There's another lesson for you. If you're going to do any traveling, if you go to any of these conferences that are out of the country or going on vacation, get travel insurance. It's worth it. It doesn't cost you much. <laughs> Learn from my mistake. So now that that story's out of the way, let's talk about our guests that are coming on. We've got two guests today. Really, really spectacular folks. We're going to speak to Dr. Matthew Samuel of Johnson & Wales University, and he just conducted a faculty internship. So what he did was spend time at 15 different private clubs and just learned from them and, and, and tried to trend spot. And so he's got six really, really, really great tips, some six categories worth of information to share with us on what he learned and some advice that I think you can take back to your club and really, really get a lot out of. We're also going to be speaking with Donna Coyne of the Professional Club Marketing Association. You're going to hear all about the upcoming conference they're putting on in Chicago and learn a little bit more about the association if you don't know about them. So she'll be up right after Dr. Samuel. Without further ado, let's get our featured guest on the show. Well, I'm joined again by Dr. Matthew Samuel of Johnson and Wales University. He was a guest, if you remember, about a year and a half or so ago and really had some great insights into what happens around clubs. And he just recently completed a faculty internship visiting 15 private clubs, and he's gleaned a ton of information from those clubs. So happy to have Dr. Samuel once again here on Private Club Radio. Welcome, Dr. Samuel. Thank you, Gabe. It's great to be back, and um, I appreciate uh, all that you do, and your your source is very valuable to students in the classroom, so I thought I'd give you a plug for that as well. Awesome. That, that's really I'm really happy to hear that. So you just completed this 15-club um, faculty internship, so I'm really interested to see some of the things that you gleaned from from visiting all these different clubs and some of the the chords that were struck. So I know the first one really relates to technology and how clubs really need to adapt in terms of tech. So can you give us some of your insights from, from the clubs you visited? Um, sure. So one of the, uh, w- one of the things I saw, I actually walked away with six uh, particular areas that, that I identified. Uh, the first one being technology. Um, I think the, the most, uh, um, the, the new and most exciting part of, of technology is with uh, the club applications. I see a lot of clubs using their own uh, app, and it, what it does is it allows members to retrieve the Im- information that they need and interact uh, with club services 24-7. Um, and I would note, for clubs that are, are thinking about an application, once they decide on the app, 
they shouldn't miss this as an educational opportunity uh, to include multi-generational members. I mean, it could be a training activity. The second part of tech, uh, which I thought was very interesting, obviously uh, members have preferences, and I saw several managers using their POS system to record those preferences uh, in the database so that all staff had access to it um, so that they could deliver a, a higher level of service. Yeah, really nice. I, I do see clubs, quite a few clubs bringing on more apps and technology and tracking more and more things. And that can only lead to more personalized experiences, I got to think, for members. So it's it's such a huge component. Um, another component that a lot of managers that listen to the show are, are always concerned with is governance. So what were some of your key takeaways from your internship in terms of governance? Yes, that has been an important uh, discussion. And from from my point of view, you know, part of the fact that the internship was to try to uh, emerge myself into uh, the club industry segment, and I've had exposure to other industry segments, but it's it's a really important difference in how uh, managers actually manage. So my takeaway from that seems to be uh, that members suggest and managers do. That's kind of the model. Mm-hmm. But building relationships with all members, especially those who engage in early committee work, is important. Um, I, I, I had heard on more than one occasion that, uh, you know, the interaction with uh, presidents of boards sometimes uh, weren't positive and that, you know, grudges were held and there were job security issues. I was surprised to hear that, but, but it, you know, the, the importance of developing these relationship earlies, or early uh, in their committee work, I, I would I glean as, as being very important. And some of the takeaways the managers talked about were attending committee meetings and help to structure goals. If there aren't timelines or agendas provided, um, the manager should step in and help help the committees with those and really to, to run a more efficient uh, meeting and maybe distribute the uh, agenda um, a few days before the meeting. But as I sat and thought about this a little bit more, um, there, there's often ongoing obstacles to clear communication between managers and the board. And many times this exists because the club itself has weakly defined or outdated or forgotten value systems. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, values and shared values uh, a little bit later on today. But the managers and the members need to understand what the club purpose is and really what the culture, the culture of the club is. And that helps to, uh, that helps to set the foundation for clear communications. Yeah, I love that. I, th- I think you can only make good decisions when you've got, you know, culture and the, the, the mission and vision of the club really top of mind. I think that gets lost a lot of times in boardrooms, unfortunately. So yeah, I love that insight. Now, um, member services was another one that I found really interesting. So can you tell us what, what insights you gleaned in terms of member services? Uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. Um, you know, I think many, uh, many clubs look at this as uh, trend setting, and it's really, you know, I'd like to take a step back on that. Um, I've heard multiple times members describe, I mean, uh, the managers describing the club as an extension of the member's home. So the opportunity to create additional services 
really, I mean, I take a step back and look at this from a non-capital expenditure, I'm not talking about building anything. Um, but what it does, well, it'll increase frequency of visits, uh, the potential to consume traditional services and offerings are important, but but what we're trying to do, what I think the managers should be trying to do, is to create a perceived uh, increased value of being a member of a club. So if you think about everyday tasks that, that we all do, I mean, not necessarily members, but members are completing and consuming tasks and goods and services outside the club. So some thoughts I had and some observations that I saw um, dovetailing with an already hot trend of health and fitness where maybe capital expenditure has already been, been uh, invested and it could be substantial. You could dovetail things like haircuts, salon, uh, massages, nail salons. So as an extension of that visitation to the club, other thoughts include dry cleaning. I mean, you certainly could do a laundry drop-off, and I would think there'd be an opportunity for a volume discount uh, with the local with local businesses. Um, services like tailoring, uh, community-based activities, clothing drives, blood drives, notary services, uh, document shredding. And I was talking to a manager about how, you know, People don't generally people don't like to go to car dealerships when they're looking looking to purchase a new car. Right. But what a great opportunity! You have all the clubs, uh, or most of the most of the clubs have uh, parking facilities. Um, you know, certainly country clubs, not not all clubs, but they have the space. And I could see new cars that fit that demographic just being parked in the lot there. As a you know, let's let's go look at this. And I would think the dealerships would be very open to that. Um, you know, based on the product placement. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I would love to just take my dry cleaning to the club. I would love to do my uh, get my suits tailored there, like you mentioned, get my car washed there or detailed. I think the more productive you can be um, really adds to the experience because we're in this world, especially people who are club members are usually running and gunning for the most part if they're not retired. But, you know, talking about your Gen Xers and, and that, that sort of age group, the younger baby boomers. You know they're they're trying to be as productive as possible, and so why not make the club a hub of activity where they can be productive? I love 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 that tip. Um, the other the the other subject you looked at was food and beverage program. Can you give us some of those insights? Oh yeah, so that was really uh, eye opening. Uh, being a food and beverage uh, person myself, so beyond the fixed uh, dining uh, facilities and even the mobile or vending being provided, uh, I'm. I started to see, or a lot of the managers started to uh, use food-to-go programs. And I really think this can create a greater membership value or perceived value and build a closer relationship with what the members' needs are. So some of the things I saw were family Friday dinners to go, um, special occasion cakes, pies, pastries for uh, when you have to go and bring things into the office. They could stop by the club and and pick all that food up and deli platters uh, were some of the uh, kind of to go items, all of which can be planned. Um, my suggestion is you start with your most popular items and you set time frames. Um, you certainly can make this available through your club app or web page and it, it, it would be manageable. The other discussion I saw frequently was um, the discussion regarding food minimums again. Um, 
you know, I, I took a second look at this, and really from a value standpoint, I, I think members can't feel as though they must come to the club and fulfill fiscal obligations. Rather, what, what the managers might focus on is how they could make the experience uh, more prideful, having having club, the family, friends, and prospective members is really a good lens to think about this through. So how does that work? Um, you know, I, I think you need to allow the members to be able to have time to plan the event or host the event so you could give them time. Currently, I think it's been the been, um, the standard to bill minimums quarterly. So, you know, social and life events don't happen normally 30-day cycles. So the member would still pay the food minimum, but maybe clubs would think about uh, billing them qu- quarterly rather than monthly. And I would suspect that the uh, member might uh, spend more than what the minimum is. And uh, and also other managers uh, seem to be discussing uh, including food to go and possibly uh, beverages in the minimum. And again, communicating membership value rather than the cost of belonging is kind of what I'm suggesting, uh, a different a different approach to, you know, a, a difficult problem that's been around for a while. Yeah, I love those tips for sure. And I've seen some clubs here locally making a million dollars a year just on their to-go order. So, I mean, that's a, hu- that's a huge bolster to your bottom line if you can get something like that going. Especially if you're in a gated community, I think it makes a, a lot of sense. Um, let's talk next about multi-generational activities. I know you study that quite a bit. Uh, yes. So that's been something that, uh, that we have been really looking at also in the classroom as part of an activity. Um, to create events or think about creating events. So it is one of the biggest challenges. The managers are trying to uh, service up to five generations of members. So what what I think is a good start is what what I call creating uh, connection points. It's a good place a good place to start thinking about this. So what connection points are? They're social and formal activities that members and their families already typically are participating in, and they're not limited to their home. So similar to what we talk about with club culture and shared values, um, these activities are deeply meaningful, and they've developed over time within the families. So why is this important, or how is it applicable to clubs? It's highly likely that given the membership process, that there are groups of members existing at each club that share the same preferences for activities. So examples might be baking, barbecuing, quilting, knitting, knitting, collecting, uh, you know, whatever, baseball cards, coins, uh, board games. And interestingly enough, I was watching the documentary on pasta making. So I was thinking about that and how that might apply. So, you know, what I see are large family events. They always have these large club events, which are great. Um, but small group activities and high frequency focusing on an aspect of a family tradition could actually create more value, I think, uh, to the member, especially if they think that to, that tradition within the family might be lost or forgotten. So I, I visualize maybe grandparents' recipes, you know, 
that that that's something that they want to hold in hold on to and that might have uh that might spark some ideas for activities and then the other thing that i think uh that they can currently use is leveraging existing sports activities you know whatever the sporting event is at, at the club or what that they offer so creating multi-generational relationships rather than a competition so they could create teams comprised of four decades or rate age ranges and um they could do like nine hole tournaments or racket uh racket games and then do a small gathering after and then the last part about this and this actually kind of was fleshed out uh in one of the classroom activities that i that i did last year um consider storytelling programs if you have senior members engage in educating uh younger members about the club uh, i think that has value and likewise in the member recruitment and orientation process you can think about including children of the members because this provides a role for them and also creates a, a wider understanding of uh maybe a perceived value for new members that are looking at the club Nice. I really especially like that storytelling aspect and the family recipes. I think both of those tips are, are really, really good for a lot of clubs out there. The last um, one of your six tips here or, or six real main areas of focus during this internship, you looked at the shrinking talent pool and, that, and why that's affecting the private club industry in addition to a lot of other industries out there. So can you tell us what you learned about that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just the club industry. It's really affecting pretty much any firm that has employees. There's just less people in the age group, for starters, that, that are hireable. But it's also the nature of work is changing a little bit. So traditional work weeks and hours may no longer apply to the next generation of workers. So, so managers need to be uh, aware of that. But I think the club, club environment has a distinctive advantage and they need to leverage it. They have a great story to tell about the, work, the club work environment. Um, uh, one of my suggestions is that they stop talking about uh, comp and benefit and begin to frame discussion around this value system that we've been kind of dancing around uh, in our discussion. Um, you could begin, these are observations that I saw in the, uh, in the uh, internship, you could begin with discussions about safety, civility, and pride of ownership, all of which exist in the very in varying levels at clubs, but they're highly desirable factors for attraction and retention of talent in, in employment. Um, as an example, you know, I'm not a big proponent of blind ads, but in this case, a blind ad in a local paper paper as example, something where you use phrasing, are you a food and beverage professional looking for a safe and courteous work environment? with a well-respected local employer, it, it adds this distinction. It adds this, this what we talk about in, uh, in um, uh, employment research fit. So you might think about in your local area creating a club-only job fair. Uh, certainly university internships, CMA student chapters, you might think about hosting a tour or hosting a club meeting. Um, class presentations, I've been using Skype for, for uh, clubs that are not in our local area. And, you know, don't forget about uh, the basics. Internal, internal employee referral programs would be an excellent tool to use in, in the club environment. 
I love those tips. Yeah. I mean, we got to get people excited to uh, work in this industry that's so unique and so different and certainly has its challenges, but there's a lot of rewards as well. Well, that's a a good lead in here to the the funding, the grant that you received from the Club Foundation doing some research on employment. So you could tell us what's happening with that. Yes, I was very excited. I applied for the research grant and um, the goal of the study is to provide club, club managers insight into what factors influence attraction and retention of employees in the club industry. It's a pretty hot topic uh, that, that everybody's been talking about. And I'm hoping to offer some suggestions based on the result. What the study will do is identify unique attributes of the club employment environment that are highly valued and shared. In my previous study of supermarket, uh, of the supermarket segment, for uh, as an example, honesty and ethics emerged as statistically significant among the dimensions surveyed. So what does that mean? What it means is for that supermarket that was chosen for the study, if they implemented honesty and ethics as a focal point in the designing HR programs, it would be highly successful in attracting and retaining talent. Uh, the survey link is able to be distributed to the CMAA membership uh, towards the end of the month. That's really exciting. That's, that's awesome. I can't wait to read that. It sounds like it's going to be an intriguing report, and I can't wait to see the, the findings that you come back with. If folks want to learn a little bit more about you, Dr. Samuel, or get in touch and, and maybe pick your brain a little bit, how would they do that? Uh, they certainly could go to the Johnson Wales website, uh, www.jwu.edu under the faculty area, and all my information is available there. Um, or if you Google uh, JWU uh, Catalyst blog, you'll see some of the other uh, articles I've written about the club uh, environment and yeah, my you- contact information there. You got an incredible knowledge base there. So I definitely recommend people check out that JWU website. Dr. Samuel, thanks so much as always for joining us. So many great insights. I really appreciate having you here on Private Club Radio again. It was certainly my pleasure and I'm looking forward to uh, helping uh, the managers and your listeners. Well, joining me from the Professional Club Marketing Association is Donna Coyne, managing member. Donna, how are you today? I'm doing great, Gabe. Thank you. I'm getting super excited. We're just about a month out from the national conference you guys are putting on in Chicago, Illinois. So I'd love for you to tell us what's going on up there and what's getting you excited about the conference. Oh, thank you, Gabe. We are we're very excited. Um, we are about a month out. The conference is going to be held downtown Chicago, September 17th and 18th. Um, with pre-conference education and events on September 15th and 16th. Um, We are hosting the conference, and I believe on a prior show with Hannah Eanes with PCMA, she had talked about the relationship with the Palmer House Hotel and the private club industry. So I won't dwell on that, but I will say that we're excited to be downtown and at the Palmer House, and we are also are excited about three local clubs within the Chicago market that is going to be engaging with PCMA in our conference. And that's the Chicago Yacht Club, the Union League Club, and then Medina Country Club. 
So we are major excited about these clubs opening their doors for our members to be able to come in and be a part of their club and learn about their club and engage with the professionals within their club. So we're very excited. Especially can't wait to see Medina because it's that I've never been there, but the, the clubhouse just looks absolutely gorgeous. The history there, obviously. So I'm really excited for that one. Well, I have been there and I will tell you, it is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, what, do, what do they call that? Like arabesque or something? The architectural style? It's really unique anyways. It is unique. They have a, a beautiful architectural design, especially in the foyer of the clubhouse. So I won't, I won't let a lot of secrets out, but I will encourage anybody and everybody who is going to be able to attend that event with us at Medina to do a little bit of reading ahead of time on their website because it is a spectacular place. Absolutely. So if folks want to get registered for the conference and check out all these sessions and speakers and all the Mm -hmm. pre-conference education going on, where do they do that, Donna? They merely just go to askpcma.org forward slash conference. And that will give them the registration if they scroll all the way down to the bottom they will be able to see the actual online brochure by clicking the link on that page. Fantastic. Yep. Get registered. Askpcma.org slash conference. Definitely recommend you are attending. I will be there and I hope to see you there too. Now, Donna, next thing for folks who just aren't familiar with the PCMA as an association, can you tell us about your mission and what's happened since the inception up until present day? Gabe, personally, um, having fulfilled the role of the membership professional in private clubs prior to being a part of developing PCMA, the mission of such an association was apparent to me. And having the opportunity to work with my co-developers who are also in the industry and in membership and marketing, it was apparent to them as well 23 years ago as to what our mission was going to be about. And I truly feel that our mission is still the same. And that mission is around the aspect of representing So to represent the profession of membership marketing throughout the private club industry, to educate the membership membership and marketing professionals with the latest trends in the industry, to keep the professionals abreast of the best practices in our ever-changing industry, and to provide the professionals a certification process for the membership and marketing professionals um, so that the club leaders such as board members and general member, general managers, as well as even their, their members of their private clubs will feel confident in accepting the membership and marketing professional as true members of the management team within each and every private club out there. And last, to provide recognition to um, a professional who in many clubs are directly held accountable for the club's membership growth and the initial onboarding of all new members, which therefore, um, in large, you know, retrospect, 
has them accountable for member retention. So to represent, to educate, and to provide recognition was our initial mission, and I can still our mission today. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. I can see I can see you guys doing that on a daily basis, and I've really been impressed uh, the way you guys are ramping up some of your efforts like social media and the newsletters. And I love reading the things that come mm-hmm. across my desk every day. So I know you're also uh, realigning the mission, um, having it be all about the members. So can you let folks know what that means? Yes. And realigning to me is, is a, a perfect description um, to the direction of PCMA today, because just a, a few seconds ago, I stated that our mission hasn't changed. Um, but I truly believe that it has it, and not unlike the clubs of our very members, PCMA as a business um, tends to get caught up in the here and now in trying to resolve specific issues or solutions for a member or uh, a group of members um, providing products and services, as opposed to focusing um, or having a greater emphasis and encompassing the benefits to our members as professionals in the private club. So PCMA's realigning process um, moving forward is really going to consist at least initially on three important influences. And that's to be a strong, to have a stronger presence in the private club industry representing our members by building strong alliances with other professional associations in our industry and strong alliances with service providers and product providers in the industry. Um, more of a, of an educating process rather than a selling process. Um, we tend to let me send you something right over opposed to providing an education on how that professional could do it. So we truly feel that with building the stronger alliances within our industry, PCMA hopes to provide our members the opportunity to engage with those other associations more and to utilize the service and product providers whom they need to assist them in their specific clubs through their PCMA relationship and to focus more on educating our members on how to be the expert in doing something as opposed to PCMA providing an end product to our members. Um, I feel the education alone will enable our members to truly be the experts in their own individual clubs. Um, And thirdly, is empowering our members to be experts. We all, I feel, know personally that hands-on experience carries you much further in understanding specific jobs or positions um, than just utilizing education via book knowledge. So to put it in the perspective of empowering our members of PCMA to be experts, PCMA will be utilizing the peer-to-peer education process um, as an association. We're very fortunate to have many members who have been through the many evolutions of this very position within the private club. 
And as an association, we're also very fortunate to attract many new membership professionals who are brand new to our industry. So our perspective is what a better way to learn and to understand someone's new role and position responsibilities than to learn directly from professionals who have truly been in the position, kind of boots on the ground. So we're very excited um, here at PCMA uh, to say that our focus and our direction that's going in now, not only going into our 23rd annual conference, but also as we approach our 25th anniversary in 2020. So it's all about the member. That's exciting. Yeah, 25 years. Congratulations in advance for that one. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Um, So definitely, again, want to recommend that people check out everything about the upcoming national conference in September. You can do that again, once again, at askpcma.org slash conference. Donna, thanks so much for joining me here today on Membership Insights. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week here on Private Club Radio. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope to catch you back here next week. Go back, listen to some of the old episodes. If you were looking for a fix between now and Monday, don't forget to share the show with your friends. We have our app on iTunes and on Google on the Play Store. So download the app. That's the easiest way to listen to the show. That way you have a button right on your phone so you can listen to the show anytime you need it. I'll catch you back next week. Until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.